Welcome to the Normal to Nomad podcast, where we share stories, thoughts, ideas, and conversations on our journey to find balance with nature in a technologically advanced world. My name is Baron. And I'm Elsa. We live together in a 13-foot scamp trailer with our dog camp in the American wilderness. Welcome back. (laughs) This is part two of the solo cast from yesterday. I woke up this morning and there were a bunch of new questions, so I felt bad not answering as many as I could, so here we are. To start off, somebody asked about the laptop lifestyle, and I think they're referring to kind of the digital nomad sort of thing. I am reluctant to call myself a digital nomad anymore because I think the whole idea of that has kind of been bastardized, for lack of a better word, and uh, a lot of people are leveraging the fact and I guess like I'm guilty of it but a lot of people are leveraging the fact that people want to live a nomadic lifestyle and they want to use digital means to support it like that's what I do effectively but I think a lot of people are a little bit disingenuous with that and just post pictures of them on the beach like working on their laptop and say like five five tips for becoming a digital nomad in 2020 or five tips for learning to drop ship on Amazon. You can do it too. It's so easy. Like that kind of stuff is just kind of, I don't know, it turns me off. So the whole digital nomad laptop laptop lifestyle thing has kind of gotten out of hand. That being said, I did just get a new laptop for the first time in almost 10 years. I had an old MacBook Air that I got in early 2012, and it had served me well up until last month, and I got a 13-inch MacBook Pro finally, and it has been wonderful. My old Air, I would replaced the battery on it twice, and it still ran through the battery super quick whenever I was doing anything intensive. So now with my new MacBook Pro, it has four USB-C ports, so I can charge it from USB-C to USB-C with our new Goal Zero Yeti 500X. So it doesn't have to step up the voltage via AC inversion uh, like it used to on my old laptop. So typically we have two Goal Zero batteries. The new one that we just got, the 500X, has a 60 watt USB-C output port. So with that, it's DC power within the battery and then it powers my laptop, and my laptop has DC power in its battery as well. But on older computers, you would have to use a power adapter in between and use the AC inversion, and in inverting the power from DC to AC, there's a power loss, and then from AC to DC, there's a power loss. So it's less efficient to do it that way. So with the new laptop, I can charge DC to DC, and it's more efficient which is super nice, and the laptop itself is far more efficient. You could ask, and this is getting nerdy, but sorry about it, I did consider the fact that Apple is releasing their own silicone chips, so their processors are going in-house, like they're building their own chips, similar to what they have in the iPads and iPhones, and they're screaming fast processors, ultra energy efficient, I think they'll be awesome once they come out. And the laptop that I got was the last generation of Intel chips, which will be sort of backwards compatible with old apps 
and games and things, which I think will be a useful thing. I honestly think the transition to Apple chips will take a couple years to really take hold. So I don't think there will be a ton of benefit in having Apple like in-house processor for maybe a year or two. But the really cool thing about that is all of the iOS apps and mobile apps will run on the Apple chips natively. If you have, I don't know, different mobile games or different things like that, you could, you'll be able to run those on your laptop. So the whole iPad OS, OS X, and iOS, all of those frameworks are really merging together. And I think it'll be a pretty cool thing once they do that. But the downside is that older apps that were built on the Intel architecture probably won't, won't work for a minute, which will be tough. So, I don't know. Just something to think about. What are our favorite tools at the Scamp? I'm going to talk just hand tools and that kind of thing real quick because I feel like we've talked about a lot of digital tools and like camping gear and solar and all that digital stuff. So, one of my favorite things that I use the most often probably is the Skeleton Tool by Leatherman. It's got pliers built in and a couple like Phillips head and flathead knife. Just super simple tool that kind of has everything that I typically need. And then I have a small Victorinox pocket knife, like the smallest one that they make, just with a knife and file and scissors on my keys. And I probably use that more than any other tool that I have. I've always kept a small knife on my keys and I love having that. Oh, this is kind of funny. The IKEA toolkit that just has the comes in an orange box and it's got a hammer and pliers and a bunch of different bits and a screwdriver is an excellent little toolkit that's super easy to keep together. It's not a perfect like the steel on the tools is probably not super hard. They probably wouldn't last super long if you were doing a bunch of work with them all the time. But for the simple repairs and stuff that I have to do in the scamp it works great. So that little Ikea kit is super useful. Let's see. And then we get this question a lot and I don't know, I'm hesitant to go into it, but what do we do for protection in the scamp? We have bear spray, we have a little hatchet and a knife, a number of knives and different like hand tools for protection. But I think bear spray is the main thing. And honestly, if I had Anything beyond those things, I probably wouldn't talk about it with the world. But a lot of what we do for protection is just situational awareness and intelligence. So keeping an eye on who's camping around us, waving at people when they drive by just to get a read on what they're like. Uh, I talk to people a lot that are camping nearby and just kind of get a feel for where they're at, if they seem sketchy, if they seem cool. And once you get to know people around the area, even like locals in town and stuff will tell you the areas to avoid or sketchy things. So yeah, just keep a pulse on what's going on and be aware and trust your instincts, I think is a huge, huge bit of it. Like anytime that my spidey senses are tingling, uh, I really lean into that and make sure that everything is safe. There have only been a few times when we have felt threatened and I think we've told those stories before but yeah if if we're in an area and I sense that something is off 
we will generally pack up and move. We avoid confrontation as much as possible because it's just not worth it. Like, I don't want to have to fight anybody and be prosecuted or get in a yelling match or, I don't know. People can do, people can be crazy. I uh, am more wary of people than I am animals, honestly. Like, I don't think, most animals just won't jack with people. So I don't feel threatened by animals. I don't typically feel threatened by people either, but I'm more mindful of people than I am animals. Hope that answers the question. I don't often feel unsafe out here, and uh, I feel like we have plenty of tools to keep ourselves protected, so don't worry about us. Let's see, recommended gear and food. I think we've talked about gear plenty in the last bit of this, so maybe I'll go into food quick. Some of the most useful food items that we always have around and I consume frequently are greens powder and protein powder. Greens powder is just like a blend of different uh, fruits and veggies and greens to cover all your sort of nutritional bases. And yeah, people, a lot of people, whenever we mention this, say, well, you should just eat whole foods and then you get all of your, everything you need from that. And I agree. If, if I could just, like when we were working on the farm, I didn't drink much greens powder because I did have all of the greens and nutrients pretty well covered. But whenever we don't have the most wholesome diet and I just want to cover my bases, even early in the day, if I'm feeling nutritionally deficient and I don't want to break my fast with breakfast, I'll drink some greens powder. And that way I just know that my body's good nutritionally and it's no worries. And then protein powder, I generally drink a plant-based protein. It has a lot of uh, pea protein and different things like that in it. I have tried whey protein and I've drank whey protein in the past, but it really gives me the farts and that sucks for Elsa primarily. But uh, yeah, I drink mostly plant-based protein, but I try to switch it up between different brands and different protein types because over time I think I don't know this is purely conjecture but I feel like your body could build or my body could build some sort of resistance or allergy to different uh, plants if I consume them over and over and over again for a long period of time it may do the opposite but I just feel like it's a good thing to mix things up on occasion tips for building your own brand for nomad living that's a great question the idea of building a brand can be really daunting and I'll just kind of talk about it generally speaking because I did a lot of branding work before moving into the scamp. My buddy Alec and I would work with startups and companies that not, not just startups, but lots of companies probably in my past, I've worked with maybe 50 ish different companies on branding and building websites and all that kind of stuff. I have a good bit of experience with it, but I don't, I don't know, I don't talk about it super often because I feel like branding is over leveraged by marketing firms a lot of times. To get into branding a little bit, I think if it's a personal brand, and I think in the digital age, oh, sorry, camp, I'm talking too loud. In the digital age, I think it's important to have a personal brand. You can get by without it, but it's a nice fail-safe to have, and it's pretty transferable between if you want to do different things, then that's kind of your new 
resume, if you will, because people can look into and see all the different things that you're good at and all the things that you're into. And it's sort of an honest representation or hopefully honest representation of who you are and what you do. So I think a personal brand is super useful. And with Normal to Nomad, that was, it started out as Blink was that site. And then I migrated it over to Normal to Nomad because I want it to be a little bit more than just me. Like I want to include Elsa and then different friends if they want to contribute and that kind of thing. So I don't want it to just be barrenlink.com anymore. But the that was the first site that I ever built just for fun. And I really, really, really recommend that you do that if you're into any sort of content creation, whether it be writing, photography, videography, even coding and uh, anything like podcasting. Just make yourself a site. And what I did and what I suggest doing is for each page, sort of make different buckets for things that you're interested in. So if you like to fish, make a fishing bucket or just have your blog dedicated to anything that you want to write about. Keep your options open and don't limit yourself too heavily. So on your blog, you don't have to just write about fishing. Like if you want to review a hammock, excellent. If you want to talk about uh, mental health, excellent. Just like keep the door pretty open as far as what you can do on your site and don't try to make it super niche or pigeonholed to begin with. And if you want to get more niche over time, great, do that. But I think it's hard to stay motivated when you're super siloed off from being able to think creatively in different uh, paradigms. That's like how I think anyway. Some people might feel more creative when they're constrained in some way, but I like to really keep it open and have the ability to be dynamic because that's how I think and I'm into a lot of different things. So, yeah, I think just have different buckets on your site and start putting things on there. And something that helped me a lot is with blog posts, just posting first drafts and not making them perfect. Because if I tried to edit and edit and edit and make everything perfect before I posted it, then I would never post it. So I think it's better to have something finished than something perfect. In a lot of cases, because then you can go back and edit it and uh, repost it or just edit it live and it's all good. Nobody's, I don't know. It's more, my, my blog started out more for myself than it did for other people, but a lot of other people have found it useful. That's my suggestions there. As far as like branding itself goes, don't trip over it too much before you get something going because it's so easy to get lost in making a logo and even a website and making shirts for your brand and business cards and making a business plan and contracts and setting up a bank account and filing an LLC and all these different things. But it can be simple and I think it's best to just clunk through it and start building your business, start doing business and figuring out what that's like rather than spinning your wheels preemptively before you really get started. And I think business school and all those things really do people a disservice in that because it's a lot easier than it's said to be. Uh, I have a blog, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that any of that stuff is wrong. I'm just saying don't waste all of your time on it because you may do all those things, build all these things out, pay these marketing firms to build your brand and your logo and everything, and then you try to do whatever it was that you planned on doing for the business and then you don't like it so 
you got to restart and you wasted all that time. So I think my advice for branding is dive into it and work through what your branding is and all that as you go. Like for Normal to Nomad, I don't really have a mark or a logo even, but the brand sort of carries itself still. And I would benefit from a mark or a logo. And it's something that I've been working on over a long period of time, but it's not, it's not necessary to your success. I think that, yeah, I could, it, it could be more recognizable if I had a mark or a logo. And like I said, I'm working on it, but I don't know. It's not a totally necessary thing. What are some apps that you use on your iPad and iPhone? That could be a two series podcast of its own. <laughs> to start for a while, like some of our most viewed videos, like the winter camping videos and stuff, we were shooting that on Elsa's iPhone Pro. Almost exclude oh, like those videos were almost exclusively recorded on iPhone. And we were reluctant to tell people because I think they would say, Oh, well, now that you say that I can I can see that the quality is not as high and whatever. But having the ability to shoot time lapses, shoot slow motion, they can shoot 4K, although we don't because the file sizes are too big and clunky for uh, our remote living situation. Phones are super capable. They're, you can shoot at night. The iPhone Pro has three lenses built in, so it has a two-time zoom. It has a super wide angle, like GoPro fisheye type deal, and then the normal lens. Oh, and it has built-in optical image stabilization. So I'm just blown away by how effective the phone is for creating video and photography content. If you have a decent phone, like I have an iPhone SE, and it can still shoot decent video and take good photos. And it's it's not even the new SE. It's the SE from, I don't know, a long time ago. It was It's the iPhone 5 body with 6S internals. So it's the old guy. That's the phone that I still use. And I can create content with it. And I suggest before you, like, everybody's always asking, like, what camera do I get? You can use your phone uh, to get started for sure. And you can even do it professionally and people wouldn't know the difference a lot of times. So as far as apps go on the phone and iPad, just talk about productivity. And I have a whole apps prod uh, podcast that I have the outline written for that I have yet to record. For writing, I use an app called Bear. B-E-A-R. I just really like that app. It's similar to Apple's Notes app, but it makes use of like hashtags for tagging. So if a post is going to be a blog post, I can do hash blog post or hash podcast or whatever. And then it groups them all up so I can click through and see what I've written. Then you can pin them to the top, similar to Notes. I like, it just is a clean, simple interface that feels good to type in. And I know that sounds a little ridiculous, but I just like it. Another thing that I use is an app called Things, actually. And it's a sort of to-do list app. And I could do a whole podcast on how I use Things, but you can break all of your to-dos into different categories. So some for my, I have some for my website, some for things that I'm working on in the scam as far as repairs or different stuff like that goes. Uh, Things to look out for on the Subi or upgrades that we need to do in the future. Podcast ideas, video ideas. I have all kinds of different categories. And the beautiful thing about things, and it's really redundant to talk about it because the name is so good is that it has an inbox function. So I think it's control space on 
a Mac, but Command Space brings up Spotlight, so you can launch any app from Spotlight. Just if you hit Command Space and then start typing whatever app, you can also use it as a calculator but that has nothing to do with things. If you hit control space, I think it is, then you can make a new thing. A little input screen just pops up over whatever you're doing and you can just type research camps allergies, for example, and hit enter. And it doesn't disrupt your workflow. It just sort of comes over the top and then you enter it and then it goes away. So you don't have to open up the app, you don't have to scroll over to it, you don't have to do any of that. It's just super unintrusive and doesn't disrupt your flow at all. And that's what I, one of the things that I love about it. So then once you've created that thing, you go over to the Things app whenever, if you're trying to get organized or you have a break in the day, and in your inbox within Things, you can then sort all of the different items, whether you want a time-sensitive due date on different things or if you want to put them in a different category or whatever they're just all sitting in your inbox to go ahead and sort and then there's a today category you can put them in today you can put them in this evening or someday so it's just a really good way to stay organized and keep track of all the stuff that i'm working on let's just leave it at that for now and i'll get into more apps in a dedicated podcast here soon would you venture to all 50 states sure We've kind of floated around the West just because it's easy and there's so much uh, national forest and BLM land. By definition, we own that land, like all of us do if we're citizens of the U.S. So that just makes it really easy to travel around because we effectively own <laughs> the majority of the West. But out East, yeah, we would like to go out East. I would like to spend time around the Great Lakes. Uh, I loved Florida growing up as a kid. The Everglades was just fascinating to me, seeing all the wildlife down there. Super cool. The West is just accommodating and pretty easy. So eventually it'd be fun to travel to a bunch of the different states. I, I love Arkansas. That's one of my favorite states. The sandstone there is world class and they have some beautiful rivers and Arkansas is a hidden gem for sure. But yeah, we'd like to travel around more, but we travel slowly, and that's sort of by design. It's We get to really know areas and people, and it's less expensive to travel slowly. Eventually, we'll probably get around to most places that are intriguing to us, but we're taking our time. Somebody asked about Tinkara and Tinkara from the kayak. I have been fishing a little bit in Oregon, but I've realized the limitations of Tinkara. I still love it, and I think it's super useful, especially for backpacking and stuff. But I think it's primarily, mo it's most useful for little mountain streams and that kind of thing. And it's a little bit limited in bigger water, like lakes. But you can still do it, it's just a little limited. And I grew up using a bait caster and spin caster so you can really cover a lot more water and a lot more varying depth with that kind of setup so i would like to get a ultralight spin casting setup again like i used to use when i was growing up and then have the tankara as well because i feel like between those two setups i could really cover about any water because I love having the Tinkara, I love what you can do with it, I love how portable it is. If I want to catch fish for eating, then I feel like I would, I could do it a lot more quickly just given what I know and what I'm used to with a spin casting setup. Yeah, and I think that goes for fishing out of the kayak too. I think I could do it with either, but ideally I would have a Tinkara rod for fishing with flies if the fish are being choosy or if they're eating off the top of the water, especially trout. 
and uh, like smallmouth bass and that kind of thing. But then having a spin casting setup as well, in case the fish are deeper or if it's uh, in the colder months of the year when the fish are down deep. Or I could fish a lot more water and a lot more different species if I had the two types of fishing setups. And I'm proficient with spin casting, so I might as well do that. Let's see, hobbies and equipment. What are some hobbies and equipment that we keep with us? One is my mountain bike. And it's a 29-inch wheel, specialized, I think it's the Hard Rock. So it's a, it has the suspension up front, but no suspension in the back, so it's a hardtail. I've had it for a long time. I bought it new probably six or seven years ago. And I converted it to a single speed a while back. Because I when I was mountain biking, especially in Kansas City at Swope Park and Shawnee Mission Park, the trails were so rocky that I would bang my... And I'm not that good at mountain biking. So I would bang my derailleur on rocks. And then I would struggle to shift gears. And I just got so frustrated with having to deal with a derailleur that I took it off and changed my bike to a single speed. So now it rides like a mountain bike. and Or it rides like a BMX bike, rather where you got to stand up and pump sometimes if you're climbing a steep hill. But I just like the simplicity of having a single speed and that it's no maintenance. And on my handlebars, I just have my front brake and my rear brake, no gears to clunk around with. And it's, I think, more efficient. The, it's a more efficient drivetrain because you don't have the extra bins in your chain and the slack in the chain. So... Yeah, I really like riding single speed. It is a bit limiting. Like if I ride with other people on single track, they're faster than me, but I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to win any races. Uh, another thing is our whittling kit we just got pretty recently. It's a kit off Amazon. I'll link it in the show notes that just has a few whittling knives and tools. That That kit has been super fun and we need to use it more. When I was little, I would whittle with my grandpa and make bows and arrows and I did it in Cub Scouts for a long time, and I just really enjoyed it. And I actually, the, one of the only times I've really cut myself bad, I was, I don't know, maybe six or younger, and my knife slipped when I was notching the back of an arrow, and uh, it went straight into my thumb, and I still have a scar from that. My, the side of my thumb looks kind of like a butt because of the knife digging into it. It was pretty gnarly, but I... Didn't want to get stitches. I was so scared of stitches as a kid. So my grandpa was like, all right. And we just wrapped it up with gauze. And I still have a scar as a result. But yeah, whittling kit is super cool. Be careful if you're carving stuff though. Uh, another thing is my PlayStation controller. With iPads and iPhones, you can use PlayStation or Xbox controllers. Any Bluetooth controller to control games and that's been a fun thing uh, because gaming is a hobby of mine and I also have a podcast that I will record soon on Nomad Gaming because I've written all about it and what I've learned about it and all the different games that I enjoy on the road and that kind of stuff. Another thing is our archery kit which I have a blog post about and I will link that in the show notes but it's a takedown bow uh, it's a samic sage it, we have the 30 pound limbs on it now so it's a pretty a super light draw just so we could get our technique and everything down but i'm getting to the point now where i would like to move up to some heavier limbs yeah it's a pretty simple kit it was just under 200 dollars with uh, all the arrows and the target and the bow and protection for my hands and arm and everything we needed the quiver 
So it was reasonable and I use it almost every day. So that's been a really cool thing to have. Bucket list items. What are our bucket list items or my bucket list items specifically? I've done a lot of them. I'd like to spend some time in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, all the different wildlife in Australia is particularly appealing to me. I don't know. I think I could kind of die happy. I've done a lot of the things that I aspire to do. It's not to say I won't keep doing cool stuff, but I've done a lot of the things that I've wanted to do growing up. What are your favorite blogs, channels, or books? One of my favorite blogs is Wait But Why. You just got to check it out. It's long-form blog posts that are that dive deep into all different subjects. One of my favorite podcasts recently has been The Portal with Eric Weinstein. I don't necessarily agree with all of his perspectives on things, but um, it's been a, it's like an intellectual workout to listen to his podcast a lot of times, and I really enjoy that. And he's got some perspectives that are refreshing and counter to the standard narrative tends to be. I like hearing different ways of thinking. On YouTube, there's a channel called Economics Explained, and uh, with everything going on right now especially, I've been a little bit tuned into economics to figure out what's going to happen with the dollar and what to anticipate and how what we're going through now rhymes with different scenarios throughout history and throughout other parts of the world. So Economics Explained has been a useful channel for tapping into that. There's another channel called After School that is a hand-illustrated channel. And a lot of times they'll have talks by Alan Watts or uh, Richard Feynman, different characters like that. And then they'll illustrate the talk as they go. I think Terrence McKenna is on one of them. But it's it, the drawings as the talk goes makes it stick in your brain a little bit better and that's called after school another one is Kurzgesagt, and that's in a nutshell in german i think but if you look up in a nutshell on youtube they use this little duck and really simple animations that are just super clean and inspiring animations but they're super simple too to illustrate complex topics like all types of scientific theories and stuff on a different sort of vein, Jimmy Highroller on YouTube is a professional basketball sort of, I don't want to say commentator, but he makes short documentaries almost highlighting different stories within the NBA, old and new, and how he tells stories and the stats that he provides and everything are just super interesting. And the old saxophone that he used to have in his videos was awesome but he had to do away with the sacks because of copyright issues but if you're into basketball at all it's jxmmy i think jimmy high roller it's an excellent channel another one is henny the business on youtube he has or he produces music i think he made an album won a grammy for a kendrick lamar album but he has a youtube channel where he produces all kinds of music and content primarily from an iPad. So that's where I learned a lot about iPad content creation was through Henny. And he uses the MV88 mic by Shure, and I'll link that in the show notes, but I'm using that right now to record this. And it plugs into the lightning port in your phone or iPad, and the sound quality is pretty solid. And you can record really loud stuff too with the Shure mic, and um, he turned me on to that, but... 
Yeah, if you're into digital nomad stuff, Henny is the business, if you will. Another uh, YouTube channel is The School of Life. And they talk about all kinds of stuff, from philosophy to different modes of thinking to philosophers, uh, religion, all kinds of different things. But I think their approach and way of articulating things is super refreshing and enlightening. When I first found that YouTube channel, I just spent days and days going through all their videos. Influential books. I have a blog post on some of the most influential books that I've enjoyed in the past, uh, in, as far as like in the context of business, let my people go surfing by Yvonne Chouinard is fascinating. It's, he's the founder of Patagonia and I used to call Patagonia Patagucci and I wasn't super nice about Patagonia, but after reading that book, I had a new respect for the company and not just the company, but Yvonne Chouinard himself is a fascinating character and it's business oriented, but it reads like you're talking to your grandpa and his level of compassion and intelligence is refreshing to hear, especially in the context of business. Another one I mentioned in the last part of this solo cast, but uh, Rework is probably the most influential business book that I've ever read. I highly suggest checking that one out. It's a series of short essays that are a page, page and a half long, so it's super digestible, refreshing perspective on business, especially in the digital age. Sapiens is one of my favorite books of all time. It's all about humans and our species and how we use stories to build culture and agreement and pass on different modes of thinking. It's absolutely fascinating. I highly recommend reading Sapiens just to get a perspective on where we're at as a species. Another really fun one was Stranger in the Woods. It's about a dude that lived in the woods of, I think, Maine, I don't know, somewhere in the northeast for 25 years undetected and how he did that and the whole story around it is riveting and it's a true story I'd suggest checking out that book elsa and i both loved it what music do you listen to i have most of my playlists and stuff linked on my spotify account and i'll put a link to that in the show notes but I listen to, and everybody says this, but I listen to all different types of music. Lately, with all the social unrest and stuff, I've gotten back into Rage Against the Machine, because growing up, they were one of my faves. And Tool, I've been listening to some recently, too, uh, especially when I work out and stuff. If you like either of those bands, there's a Warrior Mode playlist that has a lot of their music on it on my Spotify. Another, I have a Peaceful Warrior playlist, and it's more mellow sort of medicine music a lot of natural sounds and music that just makes me feel good and if i'm in a bad place mentally i'll just if i'm driving around or on a walk i'll listen to that and it normally gets me back into my good spirits in the past i listened to a lot of rap mostly just heavy lyric or not heavy but lyrical rap and some of my favorite recent ish lyrical rap songs are in a playlist called flow on my spotify kendrick lamar is on there and run the jewels and aesop rock and lil wayne and a bunch of different artists chance the rapper oh logic logic's album everybody is an excellent listen straight through if you like hip-hop he goes into a lot of poignant topics in that album. The new Run the Jewels album 
was amazing. I was like stomped when it first came out, I was listening to it over and over and over again. And it was a stormy day in the forest. And I was walking through the forest, listening to around the jewels and just wishing, a wishing somebody would, <laughs> if you, if you know what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, I've been having fun listening to around the jewels lately. What did you do pre-scamp? Uh, we've talked about this in a different podcast and I'll link to that, but I played a lot of paintball. I played like semi-pro paintball and traveled all around the U.S. competing in tournaments and stuff. I rock climbed a lot. I don't know. I played all kinds of sports growing up. Business-wise, I don't know. We've talked about a lot of this in another podcast, so check that one out. What is going to town like during a pandemic? That's a great question. For a while, it was a little weird. We normally, or like during all of this, we've been around smaller towns though. And I I don't mean to politicize this, but their smaller towns are typically a little bit more conservative politically. So more Republicans versus when you go to the city, it's uh, more Democrats. They're more liberal. And with the whole pandemic, it's been pretty wild how politicized the whole landscape has gotten. So if you're, when we're in a smaller conservative town, and a lot of it has to do with population density and, um, risk of spreading the disease and all those different types of things. But in smaller, more conservative towns, people are generally more laid back. Some of it is political. Some of it is just, uh, circumstantial. All that to say that it hasn't really been a huge deal going to town when the pandemic was sort of at its height. We went to town maybe once every couple weeks. We stocked up on groceries and everything and really kept to ourselves. But we've kind of floated around a similar area so that the people in the grocery stores and everything uh, see us as locals or they know us well enough to not be turned off by us coming in there. It hasn't been horribly debilitating but uh, when it first began we stocked up and tried to be mindful of people's space and everything and we still are we still wear masks and everything but it seems to have mellowed out just a little bit which is nice what is my perspective on my relationship with elsa elsa's super super rad i am always inspired by her and she has woken up the more creative side of me for sure because I'm typically the more logic-oriented, a more logic-oriented thinker and doer, but waking up the, I don't know, you could even say like more feminine brain in me has been really useful, and I think it's made me a more whole person, and I think I can, I can thank Elsa for a lot of that, and her creativity is endless and exciting. I think we have a really healthy relationship and it's it's a fun thing and it's been interesting to share it and what we do with the world it's not something that would come naturally to me like I don't necessarily get a lot of satisfaction from external validation but it is cool to affect people in a positive way and we do our best to do that and without Elsa's push I don't think that I would be as open to that kind of stuff as I am. So, I don't know. I'm really grateful to have Elsa. She's amazing, and I think we have a solid relationship. And that's all the questions for now. If I missed you, if you commented on Facebook, especially, I don't have Facebook on my phone, so it was hard to read 
all of those messages. I try to avoid Facebook as much as possible. So thanks for tuning in. And that's all for part two. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more information and links to the things we talked about, check out our show notes at normal2nomad.com slash podcast. If you want to see more of what we're up to, we've documented our travels on YouTube for the past three years and are up to a quarter of a million subscribers. Check it out at youtube.com slash Please give us a five-star review if you like the show so other people can find it. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.